0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: Football is in full effect and the NBA is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at BetOnline. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you get in on everything imaginable this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. Head to BetOnline today and use promo code ARMCHAIR to take advantages of all the great sign-up bonuses. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. You are listening to The Bird Calls on the Armchair All-American Network. For more on your Pelicans, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. What's up, Pals fans? Welcome back to the Bird Calls podcast. I'm your host and contributor to the Bird Rights, Preston Ellis. Uh, today, <laughs> wow, uh, we've got games to cover. We've got a crisis in Washington, a COVID breakout uh, that may threaten to suspend the season. Who knows? Maybe end it. Uh, who knows? As Han Solo would say, I've got a bad feeling about this. I know Fish will get that reference. To sort these feelings and others, we have perhaps, by his own admission, the most respected voice in all of Pelican's Twitter, one Mr. Ali Cosell. How are you, sir?
2: I'm great, but yesterday I was, uh, you know, target number one because I was saying no to a Bradley Beal trade. But hey, you know, I I don't want to dwell on that fact. Let's just move right along, huh?
1: We do have questions about Bradley Beal that we will answer for probably I want to say the 30th time on this podcast there's there's never an end. I want Bradley Beal to be traded just so we don't have to talk about him anymore. Uh, uh, Next up we've got the voice of the Green Wave who always goes hard in the paint and I think he's actually going to be on the call tonight Mr. David Grubb how are you sir
3: calls tomorrow night. I'm speaking with the coach tonight, getting prepped, but uh, they will be playing first place to, uh, South Florida tomorrow at Fogelman, the ladies, um, Tulane in second place in the American Conference. So I'm really excited about that. So, and glad to be back with you gentlemen. It's been too long. We've all been a little busy and I apologize, but good to be back.
1: You don't have to apologize for all the great work you're doing. As soon as I saw that Tulane Green Wave stuff, I thought, man, this is major. He deserves it. Nobody works harder than him. Uh nobody's more honest than he is never trying to be somebody he's not always has been frank while also being fair um I just couldn't be happier or prouder of you and and I think you absolutely deserve every single bit of it and also congratulations I think hard in the paint did you hit 10,000 today That's right yeah we crossed 10,000 um listeners so that's awesome
3: and uh just it we uh, you know it's a few more things in the fire I have talked to Ali with offline um, but I don't want to say them publicly yet. But, yeah, some some more good
1: news may be coming my way. Sweet. I hope you enjoyed all that positive talk because we're about to talk about the Pelicans, so it's all going to go downhill fast. But first, the man who would probably be screaming his way through the rise of the resistance right now if things were normal, Mr. David Fisher. I saw, I think it was a year ago, maybe this week, that you were at Walt Disney World. Is that right?
4: No, the last time that the Pelicans played the Mavericks, Um which was an overtime loss, which sucked. Um, I was actually laying in a bed at um, Pop Century with two little kids asleep on me, watching the game, trying not to wake them up. <sighs> and then we didn't get a game, but magically, it's amazing. Dallas has 12 available players for a game tomorrow. What? It's like, the, yes, it's like the NBA is like, they're going to have these COVID restrictions, and now they're just throwing them out the window. It's probably that they're just starting to wave or ignore close contact stuff and letting guys play just so they can have games. And that's just going to bite them in the ass. Like that's such a short-term, like short-term game, long-term loss. It's a terrible idea.
1: Yeah, I've got some notes on this. Uh, I mean, there's been so much happening. Um, and I- I'll let you guys touch on what you want to touch on. But first, I think we have to start with COVID right now. Uh, 375,000 American lives lost uh, to the disease, and the numbers are still skyrocketing, at least here in Florida. I know my, my parents in New Orleans say that they've gone back down to phase one in New Orleans as well. But the NBA has begun its own uh, outbreak, uh, unfortunately, with massive effects so far on just names that I can think of, the Sixers, Celtics, Wizards, Rockets, and Mavericks. Uh, those are the first ones that come to mind. I'm sure there are others that I missed. Uh, the NBA just released their guidelines for at least the next two weeks. No one can leave their home or hotel room Meetings must be kept to 10 minutes. Uh, new seating plans on planes. Players can only arrive three hours prior to tip. Ali, what are we doing here, man?
2: They're trying to fit in the season, or I should say save the season, at least through this spike in COVID cases, which everybody knew was coming, right? Wintertime, hey, look out. It's going to get worse, and sure enough, it has. I mean, averaging <laughs> close to 4,000 deaths a day and God knows how many cases. And, of course, it has struck the NBA players because, as I was telling you guys off- uh camera or before we started the podcast this is affecting people that are even taking precautions right ever since the pandemic hit so you can be careful and it's bound to eventually get to you and you know when you've got these big traveling parties and these players are always together and let's face it i mean you're going to come in contact with a lot of people family friends um because that's the kind of lives you live that the potential for one person to get it and then spread amongst others is extremely high so this isn't a shock. Everybody knew it was a coming, but I just don't know about these little band aid fixes. Right guys. I mean, I don't see how this is going to help honestly in the long run.
1: Yeah. It's, it's hard to police players tell them they can't leave their homes. Cause at the end of the day, like if you want to go for a walk, I mean, I don't know. They're, they're just tumultuous times. And I want to throw this question to David Grubb, uh, Kyrie Irving always, um, you know, uh, a personality that sparks a lot of interest for interesting quotes, some of the actions that he takes. And right now he's been held out. I want to say five games straight and it doesn't seem like he's coming back anytime soon. Uh, He said that he was greatly disheartened by the actions of the Capitol, which we all are. And that's completely understandable. But now we see pictures of him at a party, not wearing a mask. And I want to say there was like 25, maybe 50 people there. It seemed like it was a large group, but I haven't seen the video. Grubb, what would you say if you were speaking to some of these athletes who who want some version of normalcy they're going out there and you know putting their health at risk they're doing it for no fans like this is just like such a bizarre world to them how how do we make sense of what these players are going through and uh beyond that how do we try to judge it i don't know if we can
3: really accurately judge it because we have to treat players no different than we treat the average american and if we live in a society where you have inconsistent rules from state to state, from city to city, from, you know, neighborhood to neighborhood. You know, just the social, what is he being accepted even in places where the rules are in place? You know, and you're when you drive around, there'll be a store you go into and the store is very uh, vigilant in who, in, when you come in, if you're wearing a mask or not, or allowing you in or not. Then there are other places that just don't care enough to enforce it. And so if you're going to have that, then we have to talk about this is an American problem. It's not an NBA problem. It's not a baseball problem. It's not a football problem. It's an American problem. And there are a lot of people who have the same thing that we had with social justice. There's corona fatigue. And because we didn't deal with these things when they were at their most inflamed, the same with these social justice issues, because we didn't deal with them, then people started to get passive about them. And that's where we are. You have people who have been cooped up. They're either, you're either on one side of it or the other at this point. You are either... Um, so per, per, uh, petrified at times that you just feel like you can't go anywhere, and that's where I find myself a lot. Or you're at the point where you're so tired of being cooped up. I get it. I understand it. It doesn't make your decision right. It doesn't make it selfless. It makes it, it is a selfish decision. But the psychology of it, I can't. I cannot dispute it because we did not handle this as a society correctly
1: now fish i want to continue on this line of thinking obviously you've got your two kids you were just talking about your trip to disney and that's that's another factor i know we haven't gotten to the pelicans i promise we will these are bizarre times i just want to make sure that we mention and we're thoughtful with them uh just in terms of what these athletes are asked to do they're asked to travel they're they're having games every other night now to try to compress this 72 game schedule into whatever it is four or five months something insane but on top of that, we, we don't talk enough about kids, about family, about asking these players to, to coop them into their home. I, I imagine they can't take them on trips anymore if they ever did. What, what must you imagine is it like for, let's say, the Dallas Mavericks who already have so much of this on their mind and then all of a sudden, surprise, three members of their team have COVID. How, as a player, can you overcome adversity like that? I, I
4: can't imagine. I mean, I was fortunate enough that in March, like March 13th actually, was the last day that I went into the office. I've been working from home constantly since then. My wife is working from home constantly. We, I mean, we live next door to our parents-in-law. So our situation is one where we are in a high risk bubble because we can't really just cut our kids off from the grandparents that live next door. So we have to, like we have lived in the most secure bubble that we can of essentially just the six of us. Like I don't even go into grocery stores. And that's, I mean, I understand to a degree, somebody says, you know, that's a choice that you're making. Yes. It's a choice that I don't want to be the one who brings a virus into our home and kill my, my parents-in-law, my kids, grandfather and grandmother. Um, Not not me, not my kids. I understand, hey, it's like the the death rate's only 1% or whatever like that. But my grandfather's on a CPAP machine. My grandmother had open heart surgery at one point in her life. Like, I understand that if I brought that in and I give it to the rest of my family, that there's a potential, you know, that I could be the result of killing somebody just from my own selfishness. And now you have, I mean, who knows how many NBA players are in a similar situation. I mean, you're talking about, I mean, a lot of these NBA players are the first person of like, I mean, they have obscene wealth, right? But they're the first person maybe in their entire family that's had that wealth. So they might be, you know, the go-to for generations above and below them, not just their children but you know their parents even their grandparents depending and in a situation like that it's 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 got to be incredibly hard for them because who knows you know in order to do their job now they they may have exposed a high at risk family member or how many of those family members have they literally just had to cut themselves off from completely because I'm a basketball player, and I'm going to go play basketball. So now I'm at a high risk of contracting it. So I, I can't see the rest of my family at this point, because that's, that's the way I'm going to earn a living. I can't imagine how they, they do it. I just imagine that it sucks.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, you'll you'll see a lot more proposals for another NBA bubble popping up as more and more and more and more of these games get suspended. I think Boston's game with uh, Orlando has already been postponed and the game's not even supposed to be, I, I want to say, uh, until tomorrow night. But, Holly, I don't know how, but somehow we're going to have to transition. Uh, even though we're talking about all these hardships that the players are facing, there still is uh, the burden of expectation. And we, we weren't kidding ourselves that the Pelicans were going to be some kind of title contender. However, they have dropped uh, three very winnable games in what was arguably the, the easiest part of their schedule, at least at the forefront of it, the first quarter of the season. Coming up, we've got uh, the Clippers, the Lakers, the Kings, the Jazz, the Jazz again. So it's not going to get any easier from here on out. What is your perspective of the Pelicans and the way they have performed, or or their lack of of um, assembling good performances the past week and a half or so?
2: Yeah, that's it's an interesting, you know, there's a million ways you can go with this. I think, but I, I'm I'm going to take the positive road, the the you know the better road that I think everybody should look at, and that's the fact that even though you just mentioned it three winnable games and you've got to feel like, boy, they're within like seconds of being six and three. The fact of the matter is, I mean, it's an incomplete team, but there's hope and the hope stems directly from the defensive side of the ball. And we saw how well they played on that end, gave the effort, did what, you know, Stan Van Gundy wants to see on that end in the first five games. And they've gotten away from that since. So I I feel like there's at least an identity, a plan, that in order to be successful, that if they follow it, then, hey, the wins are going to come. So I I feel like we never really had that under Alvin Gentry, right? Because no matter how many points the Pelicans seem to score, the other team always had a good chance of winning, right? So I don't feel like that's the case anymore. I feel like the Pelicans now have control of their destiny. And if they simply do, and and I'm going to touch on the four things, you know, cut down the amount of personal fouls every game, Keep opponents out of the paint. So you want to dissuade shot attempts near the rim. Don't allow second chance opportunities. So do a great job on the defensive rebounding. And, of course, limit and keep turnovers to a minimum. And they've largely, in those first five games, did that well. They haven't since. And the big bugaboo, of course, that's remained through all this has been turnovers. And so you can pick up any game. And you can basically describe it through just those stats on whether the Pelicans won or lost. So everybody's focusing on the offense. Yeah, it was dismal to start the year, and it's improved, and you still want to see certain players or the team itself perform better in certain areas, but the fact of the matter is I feel like this team could be above average just solely relying on their defense. So to me, that's a positive, and they're going to need that, right? They're going on a six-game road trip now. It was going to be seven, but, of course, the Marriott's game got canceled. But in these six games, you hope to see them get back to that because if they do – as I talked with David Grubb earlier, they have a chance on walking away out of this road trip with with a little bit of momentum. Say they go two two and four, three and three, and they find that defensive identity again. Then I think, you know,
1: it's just up from there. Uh, I definitely want to touch on this with Grubb because Grub did some outstanding work in collecting statistics in the past week. Uh, really pulling the wool from our eyes, like in terms of the Pelicans being a, a, a top rated defense. I remember the first uh, two weeks or so the Pelicans got wins against the Thunder against the Spurs and two against the Raptors who at the time, I think were one in six or one and seven in those games, the Pelicans were a top five defense, but since then, uh, it's been a different story. Hasn't it, grub. So who are these Pelicans? Are these Pelicans a top 10 defensive team or did they just capitalize on some weaker opponents early in the season?
3: Yeah, they feasted on bad teams and and you look at it. The offenses that they've competed against, you've only played against two offenses in the top 15 in the league. And that'd be Indiana, which had a very solid offensive game against you. You know, you held them slightly below their averages. Um, but, and then the other is uh, San Antonio, I think at 15. So those are the only two in the top 15 that you faced. You faced more in the bottom fifth of the league, the bottom five teams when you're talking about the Oklahoma cities the Charlottes of the world, you got to play Oklahoma city twice. You know what I'm saying? At that time, you got Toronto a two win team twice during that time. You got to play against a a mediocre San Antonio offense. You got to play against these mediocre teams and got that. But the, the simple fact is, is that when you look, not just at their overall defense, when you look at what they did individually against those teams, as compared to what those teams have done against other teams, that's where you really see how bad the Pelicans' defense has been because they're not just playing poor defense individually. They're making bad teams look like exceptional offensive teams.
1: Yeah, nicely put, uh, and that's, that's the way I feel as well. Uh, however, Fish, going into the season, I think you had the, the Pelicans sixth in the West. How are you feeling two to three weeks into the season now about that prediction?
4: I'm feeling good. I mean, I, I, I legitimately, I still think that they're a very good team. I'm not surprised that they've had some growing pains, that they've struggled in um, clutch time at all. Um, When I look at this team, I mean, for instance, I said that the Pelicans were going to win 40 games, go 40 and 32. The Pelicans have dropped three very winnable games. Their Pythagorean um, win-loss right now, based on point differential, is five and four. Five and four is a 55% winning percentage. You measure that over a 72 game season, it's 40 wins. All right. So I feel good about where the Pelicans are right now. I do think that they need to dedicate themselves more to defense. I agree with with Grubb on that point. The the problem the problem with the Pelicans' offense is that they're not getting stops. And then the problem with the defense is the fact that since the ball's not going in the hoop and they're turning the ball over like hotcakes again that the defense is never set. So if they defend better and they get more stops, and then they're able to get easier looks on offense, then it's going to you know, have a, the word is escaping me, but it's a, a positive feedback loop that they're gonna have where if you defend well, you get better looks on offense because you're not going against the set defense. And then the ball goes in the hoop more, so you get to set your defense more. And that's the kind of positive feedback loop that they need to develop. It starts at the defensive end, and it solves the problems on both the defensive end and the offensive end.
1: All right, now I haven't done uh, a whole lot of homework on this regard, but I'm looking up stuff as Ali talks. Uh, But basically, my greatest concern with this team was always the bench or or the lack thereof. Uh, Of course, we all have to be disappointed in J.J. Reddick's play, and we all expect that he'll turn that around. But even outside of him, it's gotten to a point now, Ali, where uh, early on in the season, we saw Stan Van Gundy put Melly and Jackson Hayes on the floor together at the same time. And I thought it was almost like a wink and a nod to David Griffin, kind of like, we can't play these guys together. And now uh, I think their their latest game, Jackson Hayes only played something like five minutes. So their bench was primarily comprised of just guards, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Josh Hart, and J.J. Redick. This obviously isn't a long-term solution. Ali, what are they going to do uh, with with the lack of depth?
2: Send out an SOS, man, because it, it's problematic. You're right. I mean, the last handful of games or so, Stan's really just gotten away from giving any kind of regular minutes to both Jackson And, of course, man, Melly's pretty much dropped out of the rotation. I mean, he gave him a first chance uh, as the big off the bench in that loss to the Charlotte Hornets, but he lasted, what, all of three minutes? And I counted a couple mistakes right off the bat, so he yanked him uh, and then uh, replaced him with Jackson, who, again, made more mistakes. And, you know, these guys can't even stay in front of men um, on simple pick and rolls, or they're fouling, not boxing out. It's like these basic things, right? That should be innate to any basketball player, but they're especially not the Jackson. So, yeah, it's a huge issue. I mean, on the one hand, you can write off the bench uh, production issues based on just their shooting. I mean, they've been horrendous. Everybody knows about J.J. Redick, right? First game, he scored 23 points or whatever against the Raptors. Then he went through the biggest probably slump of his career before he found uh, his shot in the last game. Josh Hart was also extremely good in that last game, but the Pelicans still ended up losing. But overall, the theme is the bench has been just sour grapes, right? The starters get off to a great start. They're usually pretty darn dominant in the first quarter. And then once Stan's forced to go to the bench and start mixing in some of those reserves, the play just tails off, the opponent comes back, and we've seen it repeat uh, ad nauseum. So that is a huge problem. Um, I know Stan's searching. We're seeing Nikhil get more minutes, which I'm a huge fan of. And, you know, seeing Kyra Lewis get a little run in in the practice video with starters, maybe there's hope that, you know, Stan's not going to go give him an opportunity. Because, let's face it, Eric Bledsoe and Lonzo Ball haven't lit the world on fire either, especially of late. So, I, I feel for Stan. This is an incomplete roster. We talked about it before the start of the season, how, you know, the bench just looked really inadequate. And we had mentioned Griffin having issues with filling out the bench properly last season. Um, even in that last preseason. But again, we saw the same issues, I feel like, because they didn't address certain holes. And now it's coming to bite them in the ass. So, yeah, Preston, I mean, on the one hand, if you're staying, you got to keep throwing these guys out there because eventually you hope that, hey, something's either going to click or maybe I'll get a good night. But overall, man, I think it's on David Griffin to shore that up.
1: Yeah, we've definitely got some questions from our readers/listeners slash listeners about that grub. Uh, just to continue that line of thinking, I, I remember last year we we hammered home on a weekly basis the net rating of our starters. Uh I think it was 18.3. It was like the highest in the NBA for units that had 180 minutes or more, something like that with with Favors and Zion, of course, in the lineup. And this year it, it's it's they're 8.6 points better than their opponents per 100 possessions. So, like Ollie said, the starters are still getting it done, but Grub, it doesn't look like there's any help um, coming off that bench. There's there's no means of acquiring any help. They're pushed up right against the salary uh, or the luxury tax. So the the solution has to be in house, Grub. And is it? Can they find it in house?
3: Um, that would be a great job on Stanford Gundy's part in player development in during the season. That's what it, it would have to take, because I don't see how you're going to expect uh, Kyra Lewis Jr. to be anything more than a spot contributor coming straight out of college and a shortened offseason for him. You don't have anybody else that you can say, oh, there's going to be growth. Anything other than for that starting group, you're hoping for regression to their best. But for this bench, no, there's no one on this roster. Your hope, how much hope is being attached to the return of winning Gabriel? Like that tells you how bad it is. So the only, the only option if you want to get better is either they get better internally on their own or, and this is the thing that that we floated in our internal discussions, is the tradable pieces that you do have are, in my mind, Eric Bledsoe and J.J. Reddick. if you want to get your depth um, at the positions of real need. Because shooting is not their biggest need. Their real need is flexibility. At the, on the wing positions and at the uh, uh, in the post for defense. They don't have that, and they also still don't have someone who can lead their second-unit offense. It just it, Those are the spots of weakness. You don't have those positions on your roster. The thing you brought Bledsoe in was to be a straight-line driver to attack the basket, to be aggressive. He's not done that. And then when you have on the bench, you have no one who is either physically, in the case of, let's say, Nikhil, who is still not strong enough to finish at the rim at times – or experience wise in Kyra, who will drive, but again, a rookie with a small body trying to do those things. So yeah, I mean, I can see situations where they might give you a night or two. But it's 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 almost impossible. The Pelicans just don't have things that people want right now. And I think that the, you look at the standings and how bunched up all of these teams are, why would there be a rush to make a deal by any of these other teams at this point?
1: Yeah, you wouldn't be uh, selling high, uh, as the saying goes at this point in time. Ali, are you trying to say something? Nope, never mind. Uh, Let's go over to Fish. Uh, As we get into uh, the roster, of course, we've talked ad nauseum about the bench, but some of the more critical questions that we need to ask, of course, we're going to talk about Eric Bledsoe and his long-term fit on this team uh, relative to his salary, relative to his age, and relative to, frankly, just what he wants from his career at this point. He's never won a title, uh, and he is somebody who can contribute to a uh, title-winning team like, say, Perhaps Brooklyn, who's down Spencer Dinwiddie, could sure use him. But I want to talk about Lonzo Ballfish. Obviously, he's going to be the question mark all season long as we watch the development of his teammates, Brandon Ingram and Zion. We still have to keep asking ourselves this question is, how how much are we willing to pay Lonzo Ball this summer? How much is he worth? How much is he going to want? And based on his play, I think we're still coming up with inconclusive responses. Um, we see just synonymous as a role player, Some nights he can be really, really good, and other nights he kind of fades into mediocrity. Overall in the season, shooting south of 40%, shooting just over 30% from three-point range. Uh, He's been a solid distributor, uh, not necessarily an elite one. Uh, He's been turning the ball over three times a game, only 12.4 points. uh, But everybody's been kind of inconsistent, so it doesn't feel fair to be unnecessarily hard on him. But Fish, what has been your takeaway from Lonzo Ball's performances?
4: Well, I mean, 3 and D guys, I mean, they have cold shooting stretches. Um, And like I said, all offseason, he's a 3 and and D guy with a little bit more. And that's what we have. I mean, he's a 3 and D guy right now who is a little unconfident in his shot. So he's not taking um, some of the open shots that he should be taking. And then the other problem that we have is that his idea maybe of the player that he wants to be and just kind of like his unselfishness is he doesn't take a lot of those shots. And then we get like these hero step back three pointers, which are shots that like need to be taken completely off of the table for him. And he hasn't been in a situation where a coaching staff took shots off the table for him, I think yet. And that needs to be something that unless the shot clock is, you know, about to expire yeah, we don't need Lonzo Ball taking a step back 32-footer because you shoot 18% on it or whatever just because, hey, if you make it, it's going to be on Bleacher Report and Slam and everywhere else that's going to flood the airways. with. There's a Lonzo Ball highlight. So, And a lot of that's not even Lonzo Ball's fault. Let's be completely honest. Lonzo Ball, one thing that, I mean, while he has been inconsistent on offense, I think Lonzo Ball has been very good defensively. Um, We didn't get to talk about it during like the Phoenix game, but I thought he was superb on defense and it didn't matter because the rest of the team got the doors blown off of them. Now he didn't have a particularly great game on offense there. Um, but I mean, he's still settling into his role. I do think, you know, the question of is he going to be worth what he's going to cost remains. Um, but the Pelicans have time like David Grubb said with the, with the standings being as compressed as they are, I don't think, I don't think the market's going to be one where teams want to make big moves unless you decide to sell early. So, and I don't think the Pelicans are in a situation where they should be selling early. So, I mean, the Lonzo ball experiment essentially is going to continue until the trade deadline reasonably. Um, And hopefully he, he gets it, He gets going. If he does get going and he starts knocking down, you know, knocking down those catch and shoot threes, we'll be looking up. And it's like, hey, Lonzo Ball's averaging, I don't know, 15 points a game and he's shooting 37, 38% behind the arc. And yeah, his overall shooting percentage doesn't look very good because he doesn't take a lot of layups and he probably doesn't make a lot of the layups that he takes. But he's knocking down threes. He's a great defender now is a three and D guy worth what Lonzo ball is going to cost. And like, we can get to that point eventually, but I'm still, I'm still right now very much trying to be patient with it. He is playing a very different role than he has ever played in his career. He's only been in the NBA for four years. Uh, His entire career in high school and college at UCLA, two years with the Lakers. And then the first year here with the Pelicans. He was a point guard, and the ball was in his hands, and was going to be in his hands a lot. And he's still been in his hands a lot, but in often on on the offensive end in the half court, he's he's playing a different role that he hasn't played yet. And it's only been nine games, and I think it's premature for us to to start making very rash decisions about it. I'm really I'm really excited about the fact that the Pelicans coaching staff has identified his strengths and is trying to put him in those positions. It's just going to take him some time.
1: Football is in full effect and the NBA is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at BetOnline. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you get in on everything imaginable this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. Head to BetOnline today and use promo code ARMCHAIR to take advantages of all the great sign-up bonuses. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. I don't know about you guys, but every time I feel like I'm ready to to leap off uh, my fanatics Pelican bridge, I feel like Fish always talks me back off the ledge. Uh, we talked about Lonzo Ball. Obviously, he deserves uh, more time, nine games into the season. This team hasn't found their footing yet. And, of course, we hope that Eric Bledsoe can can play a bit better for those of us who want to trade him because we want his value to be higher. Uh, but in terms of Brandon Ingram and Steen Adams, Ali, the Pelicans know what they have. Their numbers are Sensational. Uh, on cleaning the glass, Stephen Adams ranks in the 99th percentile. Uh, the Pelicans are 30 points better than their opponents per 100 possessions. That's through 278 minutes. That's no longer a small sample size. And Brandon Ingram, uh, just as impressive, 17.5 points better than opponents per 100 possessions. However, we we can all, I think, come to grips with this being Brandon Ingram's team or, or admit that it's Brandon Ingram's team. But I want to talk to you about Zion, Ali, because some of those... Uh, positive things that we saw from him and Lonzo's relationship last season just isn't translating. He's still putting up numbers, 21 points, eight rebounds somewhere uh, close to there, 55% from the field. But just in terms of his overall impact, the team is actually five points worse with him on the floor. What have you seen from Zion, Ollie?
2: Yeah, those on-off numbers don't read too much into it outside of the fact that, um, he hasn't performed well on both ends of the floor. He hasn't provided the consistent effort you want to see. But the reason I'm talking about just don't look at those numbers too much is because when you get stuck with Jackson Hayes and whoever else, um, I almost said Alvin, <laughs> Sam Van Gundy puts out there with him when, once he has to go to his bench, it's been, a, it's been a huge problem, right? So Zion is not the type of player yet that can carry bad teammates to, you know, to success. Even in, um, when you know even when the team's supposedly playing well, how many times have we seen leads just slip? Now, with Zion, he, he's still largely the same player, right? Efficient, um, taking the ball aggressively to the hoop. Uh, we've seen decent to re- really good free throw shooting at times. He's made a better effort on on the glass rebounding. There's been a few games where even he's posted a little you know steal and block numbers. But overall, still, he's, he still is learning the game defensively. You see it, right? When he's, he's almost caught out there thinking, especially on, on simple pick and rolls, he, he hedges automatically way too much, whether, whether the opponent's out there dribbling towards him or not. And so, you know, his original assignment then always slips, gets really wide open. And same thing happens with Jackson a lot. But there's instances like that that, you know, that's just going to take time. But what I do want to see more out of Zion, though, and people have been right to criticize him, I feel like, is at times you catch him loafing. So when he is closing out or when he's getting back defensively, he's in a jog rather than a sprint, like, say, you see Lonzo or Steven Adams or Josh Hart. So I feel like that has to pick up immediately. And I'm sure Stan Van Gundy is in his ear about it, teammates and stuff, and I'm not exactly sure what the reasoning is for it. I caught in the last game after his first burst, uh, he was on a bench and, and he had put on his warm up jacket. And boy, was he sweating profusely and still really breathing hard. So I'm wondering a bit is he kind of pacing himself in games because the conditioning's not the right level? I mean, that's as much guessing as I want to do. But either way, he can still further improve. But again, end of the day, as we all say, all those that intelligently follow basketball and have good takes, he's only, what, 30, 32 games into his career. So you can't expect a finished product on both ends of the floor. But, you know, as far as him being the face of the franchise, that's not happening yet, and large part that has been due to the play of Brandon Ingram as you just touched on. So, I feel like that that's the big takeaway, the big positive for me. Let Zion keep growing, but it's great to see that Brandon is now trying to step into that role and for the most part he's flourished.
1: Yeah, he's been outstanding. Wanna, Sorry, go it. Let forward. me jump
4: on that really quick. The thing that jumps out to me on on Zion he he works at two different speeds there's Zion on offense and then there's mm-hmm. Zion on defense it's not a matter of the fact that he can't move fast that he's incapable of you know quick tr- quick twitch athletic feats it's apologize for the
2: toddler in the background
4: <laughs> um it, it's not the fact that he's not he's not capable of that it's the fact that um I think part of it is maybe he's conserving himself, like Ali said. And then the other part is he's unsure. And so he's, he doesn't know what he's seen and he's not just reading, reacting. Because the times on defense when he looks good, you can tell he understands what's happening in front of him. And it's just like, go hunt, eat. And when he gets to that point, he looks great.
1: Yeah, I think it's worth following up with Grubb. Um, what have you seen? You, you've been critical for him on the defensive end for good reason. But there is something to be made of Ollie's point that, yeah, when, when he's playing small ball five or he's playing small ball four with Jackson Hayes at his side, you're, you're really setting the Pelicans up uh, for disaster in those instances. What can Stan Van Gundy do with those bench lineups with Zion out there to, to give him a little bit more help?
3: Nothing. That's the thing is <laughs> there's nothing. There's no one to go to. Like, uh, uh, it has to, unless someone emerges, you're, you're not going to get a better defensive Jackson Hayes. Like, even the times when people said, oh, he looked better tonight, still go look at what is the, the, the contribution was numerically, like how the game actually went. Even when he contributes a little bit, they're not gaining ground. They're not holding their ground. They're still losing ground with Jackson on the floor. The best they've done this entire season is break even with mm-hmm. Jackson on the floor. That's the best. So mm-hmm. if, if that's going to be the case, if you're going to put Melly out there and it doesn't look like he's going to get any minutes anytime soon, you are conceding unless your guards are going to do a better job up top, unless they are going to be more disciplined up top. You are still putting the same situation that they were in last season that they did to Derek Favors. It's just that Stephen Adams is more capable of cleaning it up at times. But once you go into this bench, there are no defenders. There's not a single defender on the floor. And you can even say that Josh Hart's deep level of defense has slipped as well, because there have been a lot of nights that Josh Hart, even when he's not scoring has not been the same defensively. He's getting boards, but he's not making an impact defensively. He's not getting the steals, not getting the, the hands on the balls. Like that's what we've always talked about is Hel- the Pelicans having those active hands and getting tips. Josh Hart's not doing those same things. So it's a, it's from top to bottom, everyone who's getting minutes, is underperforming defensively but when you have to put and uh, you know when you put any of these bench guys in the rotation with some of the starters the starters look bad the starters as a group look great but then once you take them and start to mix and match especially the guys who are most defensively negligent your Zion your Brandon Ingrams that's when you really start to see this thing fall apart. (sighs)
1: <sighs> and now we come back to Fish. It's like full circle every single time. We, we get all that out, and then Fish is going to rein us all back in. So, Fish, we're going to go ahead and start talking about what the Pelicans need to do going forward. Obviously, this uncertainty abounds. Who knows? Uh, Steven Adams had the migraines that uh, potentially was going to shelve him for Dallas. We have no idea who's going to be on the COVID list next. We have no idea what kind of injuries will pop out of nowhere. But just in terms of what the Pelicans can do, you talked earlier about putting together meaningful ga- uh, game plans, uh, putting together purpose on the defensive end what can stan van gundy do to get this team back on track against some of the best teams in the nba
4: i think the fact that they're playing some of the best teams in the nba helps because the pelicans for whatever reason because they're a mediocre team think that they can play to the level of the competition Um, so the hope is is that the bright lights the fact that both games are going to be on national tv etc um kind of helps them lock in But the biggest thing is just rebound the damn ball. Like that was the the thing that jumped out at me, especially on the Charlotte loss, but even in the Oklahoma City loss is just rebound the damn ball stop with all these long rebounds and a whole bunch of guys are just looking around and they're not getting a body the thing is is if you get a body on somebody then you're between him and the ball and even if it's a long rebound you're between him and the ball and a lot of the pelicans they just kind of turn around and stare at the hoop now instead of going and finding somebody to box out so i mean just get after it rebound the damn ball And then the other thing is, and Grubb touched on this on Twitter during the Charlotte game when the Pelicans were doing okay and the three-pointer started to fall. He said, the three-pointer is a girlfriend. It's not a wife. And the Pelicans married that three-pointer. And then the three-pointer stopped going in and the Pelicans' offense crumbled. And you're like, well, why isn't the team executing? Well, the team stopped executing because they fell in love with three-pointers and they stopped doing what they do. The Pelicans attacked the rim relentlessly every single possession. They need to do more of that. And then, you know, if you really need a bucket, then you can lean a little bit on Brandon Ingram from the mid range and creating his own shot and some pick and roll action with Stephen Adams. But the Pelicans got away from who they are because they saw the ball go through the hoop a little bit instead of using the fact that the ball went through the hoop a little bit to attack the rim more because you should be able to create a little bit more space. So it all starts inside for them. Rebound the ball on defense just effort on defense and then offensively hopefully they make the threes that they take but the pelicans aren't a team that should be taking a lot of threes not because they're not a good shooting team i think the pelicans are reasonably average or even above average in terms of behind the arc Mm -hmm. but they are like 99th percentile at just attack the hell out of the rim just attack the rim
1: all right, Ali, uh, I, I'm trying to decide which one of these questions we should tackle because they'll, they'll all take us down a very, very dark road. So oh, I'm just going to have- me, Give me some. I, I want to be positive, man. Come on. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying. Oh, it's hard.
2: It's hard to find. Hey, I, let me just add this real quick to what Fish said because I actually am optimistic about this upcoming road trip now for a couple of reasons. Because they've had this time off, um, they've been able to practice. Stan Van Gundy has talked about how they've just gotten away from doing the good habits you know, that made them a decent defensive team, right? Doing all the areas that he wants to prioritize. Um, And I think they've gotten a chance to do that these last, you know, two, three days. So my hope is that we're going to see a much improved defense, one. And then number two, like I just mentioned, Kyra Lewis, I think he's ready to throw in a screwball um, because he knows that reserve bench needs some kind of spark, get some kind of meaningful production. And I have a feeling that maybe he'll unleash him because like I said, he's had these... Days of practice now where he's been able to to sit with the team, go over film, go over drills, you name it. Therefore, I'm hoping, you know, my expectation is that they'll be a lot more prepared that, you know, people are giving them credit for going into L.A. I think they're going to get at least one win against either the Lakers or the Clippers.
1: Why don't we keep that line of thought uh, going with grub uh, right now? I'm just picturing a Pelicans bench that is like 100% just comprised of guards, just Josh Hart, JJ, Kyra Lewis and Nikhil Alexander Walker. And Josh bring Hart's back the my... center.
2: Remember, didn't he say something about point center? He made a joke about that.
1: Oh my recently. gosh. But grub t- talk about from your perspective, what you expect from the Pelicans going forward uh, with this super dubbed up uh, Bench comprised of, of just guards, but in all, in all seriousness, it is a difficult, tall task that they're facing on this road trip. Do you expect them to bounce back or do you think things are going to get darker as we head into the next two weeks?
3: Um, you know, Ali and I have been talking about this and, 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 and my thing is. I am far less concerned about, again, the results on this particular road trip than I am with what I see. Like it doesn't, if, if they go out there and, and let's say they go four and two, and everybody's like, oh, they went four and two, but they still do the same things. They're still playing poor defense. They just happen to get wins. Well, that have, to me, that's not a successful road trip. And I don't think Stan Van Gundy would view that as a successful road trip because it reinforces bad habits. But if I watch them compete, and nobody's going to for 48 minutes, it's something you say, it's, it's, it's the striving for perfection. But, you know, in the figurative way, you want to see them compete from start to finish in an intelligent and aggressive manner. And if you see that over the course of these six games, which should be mentally and physically taxing for them to do, then I'm going to feel a lot better about their progress going forward. Um, I understand, you know, my, my thing before the season was somewhere around 33 wins and Fish has them at 40. But the whole variance of that is because... There isn't much difference between the fourth best team in the West and the 12th best team in the West. So really it's, can you put your thing, your, your, your identity together? This is the opportunity to find the identity. If, if the pure judgment of this road trip is wins and losses, then I think then people will be disappointed either way. Let's pay attention to how they play. Let's pay attention to what they do. Um, and that's the big thing for me. That's how I'm going to go into this trip.
1: I'm just going to touch on the Bradley Beal questions uh, really quickly. Of course, uh, things things are getting really crazy on that on that Twitter sphere. But of course, everybody is acknowledging that Bradley Beal is, uh, Beal is an exceptional player. Uh, I think you have to take into context what it would take to get him, and then once you've given up all of those resources or assets, what you then have. And I, I think Bradley Beal makes much more sense on a contender. Uh, or a team that he wants to go to the Pelicans just in general aren't necessarily the best fit in my estimation that doesn't mean that anybody is saying that he's not really really good Uh, I hope that we can have that like reasonable conversation that uh, you don't have to go out and get everybody you don't have to trade everybody and frankly I feel like we've been fake trading for Bradley Beal for three years so I just if, if it happens we'll talk about him okay if the Pelicans get him I promise we'll talk about him but until that happens I think we've exhausted it uh, Fish, I think we're getting close uh, to the end here. We're getting close to the hour. So I, I am going to ask Derek's question. Uh, do you think Do you think this is the end of the road for Nicolo Melli? Do you think there's ever a possibility that we see him back on the floor, that he earns Stan Van Gundy's trust, that he becomes that player that Trajan Langdon thought he was getting when he brought him over here? Or do you think his time as a Pelican is, is at an end, uh, essentially?
4: Um, I don't think his time... Uh, we- as a Pelican is at an end Um, that will happen when we see if, if we see Gabriel, um, you know, snatch minutes in the rotation and look good doing it. Um, Because the thing is, is that Melly is only like two or three trips and two or three open three pointers made to looking like he belongs on the court again. And as a thoroughly average big man shooter, that could be the next two trips that he plays on the floor. So um, I don't think he's done. Um, I hope he was done. I would wish he was done. That's, that's different. Um, but um, no, I don't think he's done. He, he just he needs to get he, – the ball needs to go through the hoop a couple times for him, and you'll see him back in the rotation until, the, until he starts missing or more terribly when he stops taking the shots.
1: All right. Well, that was too dark a place to end the podcast on. So we do want to get uh, something positive and I'm going to go back to Ali. Typically, I don't really talk about Brandon Ingram uh, as I didn't talk about Anthony Davis uh, in 2017, 2018 on most of our podcasts. Because when somebody's really, really, really good, there just isn't much to talk about. But Ali, the floor is yours if you want to. 24 points. Um, I think he's been rebounding the ball better. Uh, but the most impressive aspect of his game is with Drew Holiday out of town. He's really become the team's kind of primary facilitator. I think he's somewhere around like six assists per game. I mean, getting near to triple-double type territory on a nightly basis, Ollie.
2: Yeah, I mean, he is shouldering the load. And he's just 23 years old and having never really done this before in his life. And I would say, you know, he's done a pretty good job. Um, there's been a few hiccups. You know, if you look at his clutch numbers, just like pretty much with any Pelican, same old story, right, that they're struggling. And considering the fact that he's entrusted with most of the offense down the stretch, that's been a bit of a problem. I noticed that he's attempted 18 shots in clutch minutes. Uh, The next biggest number, kind of a surprise, Lonzo with nine, and then Zion with five. I don't like that statistical breakdown. I hope it changes, Uh, especially with B.I., because he's carrying too much of a load. And we talked about that in consecutive games, right? We saw that. He coming back into the game for his final stretch at like around the eight-minute mark of the fourth, and then he pretty much led... Dictated the offense every single possession thereafter. And that was a problem. You know, you could see his legs kind of give out. He got tired. And of course, that becomes way too predictable to defend. But they got away from that, right? He's got away from that and, and probably to a fault in the last game, to where suddenly he remember he tried to feed Steven Adams a couple times in the fourth quarter, and that didn't go so well. So he's still figuring things out. But overall, I mean, I'm not going to slam the guy. He's putting up spectacular numbers. He's rebounding more. You can see the effort more defensively, without a doubt, for me. He he used to be, you know, playing with, you know, I I guess like bulls or something out there, just waving a little flag out there and just sidestepping or letting defenders go sidestep him. But now he's giving effort to where he's trying to body up. He's trying to meet people at the rim. Um, I know that there was that one big preseason block, but I've seen a lot of other good contests here in the regular season by him that have influenced opponents shots. So he, he's still growing, but you have to like what you see. I mean, what is it? A line of 24 points, seven rebounds, six assists largely. he He's pretty close to having a block and a steal a game. I mean, there's not too many guys that are doing that in the NBA.
1: All right. We're going to get out now because I know that Grub's got to leave at the top of the hour. So I'm going to leave the floor for Grub, uh, not only to make any closing remarks, but also to tell all of our listeners where he can find him uh, at Harden the Paint, also on the Lane call. Go ahead and give yourself a, a shout out and also give us any closing thoughts.
3: Yeah, so you can catch me at DM Grub on uh, Twitter and Instagram and the website hitpwithdg.com. with DG.com. And uh Harden Paint is on everywhere, uh every platform where you can get your podcast, pretty much. Unlike Parlour. Um, but... <laughs> 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 um <Good stuff>. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah, and Tulane tomorrow at uh 7 p.m. on ESPN Plus, hosting first place since uh, South Florida. Um, My last thoughts on the Pelicans is just this. I don't get the panic. I don't get the panic. We're one-eighth through the season, one-eighth. And I'm just not in a place where I want to start um, panicking about what they are and are not. I want to understand what they are and are not. I want to figure out what they are and are not. And I want to see what adjustments get made to adapt to those things. But I'm not willing to put a label on this team just yet. Uh, I'm not, uh, because... Like I said, there's, there's been so much good that we have seen. The bad things are things that are not impossible to fix with this group. They just will be difficult in some ways um, because of the bench construction in particular. But I think that they have enough intelligent players. I think they have a, a, a smart enough staff. And I think that they have enough competitors on this team to to do better. Um, it's just, do they have the will to get there? And that's a maturity a maturity thing. It quite honestly is. This is still the fifth youngest team, I think, in the NBA. Um, so they've got to mature quickly. They've got to figure this out. But at the same time, I think that it is not as dire as many Pelicans fans would like to believe like to believe, including our good and great friend friend who I love, Angie Thomas. I know she's a little distressed right now, but I tell you, Angie, hang in there. Better days should be a hit
1: shout outs to Angie. Uh, my principal concern isn't with the play on the floor as much as it is. The draft uh, history now of David Griffin's tenure is is a little checkered. Um, the acquisitions of Nicola Melli uh, hasn't really panned out. They did nothing to reinforce the bench. So my concern isn't with the the athletes on the floor and Stan Van Gundy, so much as it is the front office and what their plan is. You trade away Drew Holiday and you bring in a guy like Eric Bledsoe, which we've talked about ad nauseum. And it, it just it just makes me question some of the some of the thoughts that are, that are going into some of those moves. Uh, but with that being said, Fish is our, our bright light, our bright shining star who will bring us back to earth uh, with his closing remarks. We're almost at the hour. So Fish, uh, obviously everybody knows where to follow you now. What are some of your closing thoughts?
4: I, I want to reiterate what Grub said in that I don't see the reason for panic. Uh, the Pelicans' um, leaders in minutes right now hmm. are Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson and well, and Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson are hopefully going to be here for a long time. They're both under 23. They're both averaging over 20 points a game. Zion's getting better. He's only played 33 games in his entire NBA career. I mean, you think about that, if he was healthy, it wouldn't even be, it would be like early January in his rookie season. Like that's how much NBA experience he has at this point. Uh, We've already seen a lot and even if this team battles around 500, that means you're going to have losing streaks and winning streaks. The Pelicans have played two games against teams that are currently under 500, and they won them both against the Raptors, who actually aren't that bad of a team. So no. the, Pelicans haven't, the Pelicans haven't faced an easy schedule up to this point. And I think that they've held their own. They have lost some games that they should have won. And that's what happens when you're a young team. And hopefully the lessons that are learned through, through those losses, not just by, by the players, but by also the coaching staff in terms of the capabilities of the players and what we can ask of them and what we can't ask of them, that the Pelicans are going to get better over time. And when we talked over and over again about patience, 9 games into the season isn't the time to abandon patience just because they lost 3 games in one week. I I I don't I don't see the long-term vision in that if 3 games after you you know 3 bad games Monday through Friday, hey, let's let's start making massive changes and trades and what do we have to put on the table for Bradley Beal? That doesn't that doesn't make sense to me. If you put Bradley Beal on this team, you're taking the ball out of Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson's hands. And crunch time even if they're going to fail let them fail this year give them the responsibility and let them fail but so they're we, not going to fail
1: <laughs> we got a yawn out of ollie and then we got a chuckle which means that it must be approaching his bedtime it's five o'clock or happy hour he just needs to pick me up uh ollie you can find him at ollie cosell uh ollie uh what have you got happened on the bird rides this week I'm going to finish up
2: this defense uh, article where we basically talk about what we've talked about in this podcast. So I can attach it perfectly to the bottom of it. I'll try and post it tonight. If not tomorrow morning.
1: Nice. All right, friends be excellent to one another. Uh, my name is Preston Ellis. Of course, you know where to follow me on Twitter. Uh, if you want to do us a favor, we don't need any ratings on iTunes. Uh, thank you so much to everyone who's done that for us. Just retweet it, uh, share it with your friends, uh, let them know to check out the bird calls podcast. We greatly appreciate all of your help. Uh, but for now, thanks for listening and thanks for all of your questions to our listeners uh, i would have gone down the deep rabbit hole with you but i'm grateful that fish and grub and ollie pulled me back into the light uh, but for now we'll be back with you guys soon let's dance let's go pelts